often think that uh, church is a lot more like sailing than we realise. <laughs> in sailing, not that I've ever sailed or been on a sailboat actually, but what I've read is there's tacking, you know, they pull the sails to the wind. And when they go, whatever it is, starboard or whatever, and they've missed the wind, they have to come all the way back and tack to the left or tack to the right to keep flowing with the wind. And uh, I want to do some tacking this morning, because it's been interesting. We've been looking at the body and, uh, for a number of weeks, and we've been talking about phrases like this, that all are absolutely equal, no one is superior and no one is inferior. Absolutely. Tack to that. Grab the wind of, we're all equal. We also, we've said, visibility in the body doesn't mean anyone is over or better or more than. Again, great reality to tack into and grab the wind of. And then a couple of people said, but what about leadership? You're, you're as it were, tacking to the right and you're talking about this, but what is the role of leadership? Are you saying leadership isn't necessary anymore? Are you saying there's no role for leadership? Are you saying that leadership is irrelevant and actually the Bible never says that so we make sure that we need to tack a little bit to the left to grab the wind of the reality that leadership is a gift from God to the body too so we're all absolutely equal visibility doesn't mean more, better or over but God has still given the gift of leadership to local church for purpose but it's leadership that looks very very different to any model of leadership that we have in any human government or any human institution. And Jesus addresses the the nature of leadership in Matthew chapter 20. And it's a great story where in chapter 20 and verse verse 20, where a mother comes up to Jesus and says, I want my two sons to have the top places in your kingdom. She's probably thinking at that moment that the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in is going to be a kingdom like she sees in the world, like she sees the Roman kind of government, that there's going to be bosses over who lord it over, and she wants her sons to get in on the top spots. And so she said, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. I don't know why the sons didn't come themselves, but got mother to do it. Hey mum, have a word to Jesus for us kneeling down ask a favour of him Jesus said what is it you want he asked she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom you don't know what you are asking Jesus said to them Mm -hmm. can you drink the cup I'm going to drink (laughs) we can they answered (laughs) Jesus said to them you will indeed drink the cup drink from my cup but to sit at my right and to sit at my left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my father now when the other ten heard (laughs) when the other ten heard that they got mum to try and climb the ladder and get the prestigious places the other ten are not very impressed because they want to be top dogs in this organisation and So they said, when the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. (laughs) Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with yeah. you. Instead, whoever wants to be great... So Jesus doesn't rebuke their desire for greatness. He rebukes the methodology and the means that they want that greatness. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we struggle to understand how this whole thing can work, the church. Because like the disciples, we think hierarchy. We think bosses. We think authority over. We think people telling other people what to do. We think that's how it works. And so when we hear things like all are absolutely equal, we think, well, you must surely then be doing away with leadership. But Jesus introduces something radical, not just servants who, leaders who serve, but the very essence of leadership being servanthood. And so I want to talk about what's the role of leadership, what's the gift of leadership, what the what, does, what do leaders bring, and what's our response, your response to leadership? Leaders are servants who invite people into God's story. That's why it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, first apostles, then second prophets. People who are hearing what God is talking about, hearing about what needs to change on earth, and in inviting a whole community, a local church, into that reality. Leaders invite people into a story that God is writing right now in our community. And leadership bring clarity to the what, to the call, to what does that mean. And leadership brings clarity on the how. How are we going to do the what? How are we going to do the what? And you hear that with Jesus. I'm calling you in Matthew 28 to a great commission. How are you going to do that? Well, you're not going to do that by lording it over people, but you're going to teach people and serve people and love people to obey all that I've commanded and all that I've revealed. So, what is the what we've been called to? What is the where are we going as a community? What is the clarion call? What are we here on earth for? The fundamental definition of what we're here on earth for is that it should be on earth like it is in heaven. We're called to bring about change. We're authorised to step into God's commission to change things. That's what we're here for. We're, we're, We're not a... We're not a club that just likes to sing, though we absolutely love to worship. We're not just a bunch of people who our commonality is we're all a bit religious and we believe in the invisible. We're actually a family that's called by God, commissioned by God and authorised by God to change things. That's what we're here for, to bring about change. We're here, if we want to talk about SE18, where this building is, we're here to make SE18 a better place. That's what we're here for. And we do that through healthy church. Mm -hmm. Healthy church is God's vehicle 
to bring in the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is bigger than the church, but the church is in the kingdom, and the church is authorised to bring the kingdom, the rule and reign of King Jesus. That's what we're commissioned for. That increasingly, life around us lines up with the reality of heaven. And so we do it through building an outpost of heaven here on earth. That's how the Romans did it. They went into a region, they conquered it, defeated it, and then they would create an outpost of heaven that would be a mini Rome on earth. Philippi was conquered by Rome and then enculturated and transformed to function like Rome. Roman culture, Roman roads, Roman legal system, Roman rights. (coughs) And we are an apostolic people on an apostolic mission to bring change on earth. We're an outpost of heaven. And so in this place, in this community, we believe for the breakthroughs of God, for the provision of God, for the financial resources of God. And then as a community, as we heard in that testimony from Tracy, that reality goes out Mm. and then it begins to impact and change people around us. So they hear about goodness and breakthrough and they latch hold of the story and the story becomes their story and God just loves to get people's attention by being incredibly generous and good to them. That's why Jesus healed the leper. That's why he cleansed lepers. That's why he set the captives free. That's why he healed the sick. He wanted to demonstrate, I am good, I love you, I have a solution, come home to me. And we can multiply that account when Rochelle did Alpha and she had Verrucas on her feet and shared the story that nothing was working. I couldn't get rid of the Verrucas. When I was pregnant with the girls, I couldn't use medication on them. They keep coming back and nothing's working until she started to declare it matters to, because it matters to me, it matters to you. And the Verrucas disappeared. Then other people began to latch hold of the testimony, the story, the account, and said if she, if he did, not even if he did it for her, he can do it for me. Just, I've got Verrucas and I need them to go. They went too. So there's something in the testimony. And you might be thinking, why does even any of this matter? Because this is the fundamental thing for you and me. We need to know it matters for us Personally, truly, we can be moved by sentiments of SEAT needs to change and we can say, yeah, that's great, but what does it really mean to you and me on a Monday morning? Now, what, what difference does it make really to your life if you really engage or don't engage? A man wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Frankel, an Austrian who in the Second World War could have escaped to America but decided to stay with his mum and dad. He was a a psychiatrist. He he, he worked to help people get mentally better. He got arrested and, and got sent to Auschwitz. And he began to ask the question, why are some people surviving in this concentration camp? Or why are some people dying? And he came to the conclusion that the ones who survived found meaning 
even in the midst of darkest suffering. He said if they could have a cause that was bigger than them, or have something to hope for that was outside of them, they could survive. But if they lost hope and lost meaning, they would die almost immediately. Around the same time, the the great thinker Freud said that men and women's deepest need is pleasure. And Frankl said, no, actually, if men and women don't find meaning, they numb the pain of meaninglessness through pleasure. Oh, yes. I'd like to add a caveat to that, which I believe we are joy hedonists and pleasure seekers, and our ultimate pleasure is to run on the fuel of heaven and God. Amen. There's something powerful about connecting to meaning. That connecting to why on earth we're here is redemptive and healing and transformatory. That when somebody gets activated and commissioned by God and says, I have a part to play on earth to make this place change and better. I've got a contribution to make. It gives meaning. That when you can say, I'm here right now because of the orchestration of heaven. I was born now, at this time, from this nation, now living in this nation, in this community, in this church. I'm here for purpose. It connects you to meaning And meaning heals and redeems and transforms. Some people say that the root of neurological or neurotic pain is self-obsession. Thinking of ourselves too much. But when we connect to, I'm here on earth to serve a people, to serve a community, to connect to a purpose and a story that's bigger than me, it sets us free. Amen. I would even say that the things like depression can be healed through connecting to meaning. It breaks hopelessness, it breaks despair, it gives pain a redemptive perspective. Yeah, I'm going through something, and yeah, it's hard, but I'm, I'm in this enormous story that God has invited in me into. I've stepped into something that's cosmic, that's bigger than me, that's eternal. So there's this personal sense of it matters and it means something. But then there's a broader greater thing that's actually at stake. That something can be won or lost depending on our individual responses to God's love and heart to bless and change the world. There's some tension in the story. And it Get solved that tension when each person says, I choose to believe that I've got a part to play in God's commission. Some people are going to be 
leaders, entrepreneurs. They're going to start things that have never been thought of and never dreamt of and never, never, ever planned before. And some people are the ones who say, I love what you're doing and where you're going. Can I come alongside and help you and serve you? and co-labour with you, and work with you. What do you need to make that happen? And both are absolutely integral and absolutely equal. So that together, that we together can get heaven's wisdom, heaven's ideas, heaven's solutions, heaven's creativity for specific issues. We could come to God and say, what's your wisdom for injustice? What's your wisdom for injustice, God? I want to I partner with you to bring solutions and wisdom to specific areas of injustice. What would it look like for it to be fair? God, I know the poor are always going to be with us, but I know you've strategically spoken about solutions throughout the Old Testament of how the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow can be cared for. What does it look like right here, right now, for the poor to be cared for? Is it, is it something you're commissioning me for? So that when you pass the poor does it, and the homeless, does it move you? Does, it, does something rattle inside of you? I think I've got, there's got to be a solution to this. I've got to partner with a solution to this. That this has to change. There can be an indication that you know, God's put something on your heart. Or maybe it's for loneliness. Or maybe it's for housing. Or maybe it's about racism. Maybe there's solutions you carry to mental health issues. Maybe there's issues around debt. Solutions to debt. Maybe there's art that needs to be created and painted and released that bring transformation have you noticed when you come off the train there's now that huge sign that says Plumstead High Street now God give us a high street that it points to (laughs) that there's things and places and restaurants and cafes and life that people can go to so it's got a buzz and a hive of activity and creativity have you seen that, that spiral thing that goes to McDonald's where it just is beautifully plumped. People have gone up to the guy, had a chance to have a conversation with the artist and said, thank you, this is changing our area because Plumstead matters and it's worth it. People are reacting and responding. Art does that. Are there things about the environment that we have solutions to? Sicknesses we want to see healed and eradicated? Yeah. Jesus to be introduced to people both as saviour, healer, counsellor, comforter, peace giver. Let's get really practical, even more practical. So there's all these things, so how on earth do you then connect? So you, you think, yeah, there's a personal transforming power in connecting to purpose and meaning. That it matters because we're commissioned to bring change to this area because it matters to God. That something can be won or lost depending on our decision to get into God's story and do what God wants to do. But then, how on earth do we connect to that purpose and that role? 
What's the call to action? What do we need to do? You were born for purpose and you were born to run in a specific lane. So how do you discover the lane that you're meant to run in? There's only one answer. And it's intimacy and connection and relationship to God. That's the the only answer there is. We can... I, I could come up with 150 different possible scenarios, strategies and ideas to solve all of those things. But I need more than good ideas. I need heaven's resources. And heaven's resources comes as we connect to heaven's wisdom. Yeah. And heaven's wisdom comes through connecting to a person yeah. in relationship who has all ideas, all creativity, all solutions and all the resources. That everything connects to how am I walking with him? Is he everything I long for? Am I running on the fuel of relationship? Am I running on the fuel, the petrol, the diesel of connection to God? Is letting God run rub off on you? Is hearing what have you given me permission for? What crazy idea? Or how could I serve? Or you might know someone who's got an idea for something. You think, do you know what? I'm going to serve them. I'm going to pour into them. I'm going to give myself. But it all starts with, I'm connecting to you, God. And then it's asking even simple questions. God, where have you given me influence? Where have you given me influence? Is it with my family? Is it in my workplace? Is it in the neighbourhood? Is it in government? Is it in creativity? Is it in the church? So connect to God. He wants you to be abundantly fruitful. He wants your life to really, really matter. It's an artificial choice to say... I choose relationship with you, Jesus, over abundant fruitfulness. Because he doesn't want that choice. He wants you to be radically fruitful. But radical fruitfulness can only happen through intimacy and connection to the vine, the life giver. Yes, come on. And so you're walking with God, you're connecting to God and you're hearing, this is the lane I want you to run in, this is the thing that you've got answers to or leadership for. Or you've got a call to serve someone else in that. The next key is this. Is to understand that all permission and all assignments always come in seed form. Always. God loves process. God loves steady steps. Because God loves relationships. He loves the process of discovery that happens as you say, I know the permission, I know the assignment, I know what you've called me to, I know my place of influence. How are we going to do this, God? And he says, I could show you, but I'd rather you took my hand and walk with me there. I'm going to unfold it bit by bit, moment by moment, story by story, need by need. I'm going to reveal that to you. All permission comes in seed form. And the seed that you start with very rarely looks like the thing that you finished with. 
Seeds don't make <coughs> tomato seeds don't look like tomatoes, do they? Oak trees don't look like oak trees. Acorns don't resemble and reflect what they're going to become in a hundred years' time whatsoever. And so it comes in a seed form. It comes as a prompt of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't look like what you're prophetically expecting and hoping it to become. So you take it and say, "What? Well, I'm going to nurture this and look after this. I'm going, to, I'm going to pour my life into this seed, looking after it. Cultivating it. This is, this is where the role of leadership comes in as servanthood to you. And this is where it gets challenging for us. We have, not we, but church, for centuries, has built the idea of of the separation between the priest, as it were, the leader and the people. Centuries of it. And that error, that problem, that tacking all the way over here to there's the man or woman of God and then there's the people has hugely undermined the power of the church in the West. And so what often happens then is people walk with God and they get something from God and it comes to them in seed form from God and then they bring the seed to the priest. And they say to the priest, would you, would you grow it for me? Would you water it for me? Would you make it grow for me? Because we tacked all the way over here to this separation of leadership from people. Each man or each woman is entirely responsible for managing themselves towards fruitfulness. Leadership does not get to determine what you do with your life. And that's been holding the church back in the West for centuries. And this is really challenging for us. Because we've almost... Leadership can even tell the people, you don't even need to have faith. You don't even need connection. I'll be your connection for you. I'll tell you what to do. I'll give you commands. I'll give you orders. I'll be your boss. All you need to do, give me your money and serve me. 
and then believe that you're changing the world. Leadership invites you into a story. But, but leadership, I don't know if you notice, doesn't have the power to change you. And leadership doesn't have the power to get you to a good place. Unless you use control, manipulation, guilt and politics. So Jesus is not going to be like that with you. You're not going to lord it over. I love what Pete Carter says. If you go to the doctor, the doctor has authority to access all the resources of the NHS for you on your behalf. Mm. But the doctor, unless you've got a different doctor, doesn't come to your house and say after every meal... Did you, take, did you take the tablets? Don't, I'll go and get the tablets for you and I'll go and get you a glass of water. He doesn't come, he or she, the doctor doesn't come and check you're doing the exercises. They don't lord it over you. They just access for you possibilities, resources, encouragement, opportunities... And it's what you do with it is absolutely up to you. <laughs> yes. And so sometimes, and they'll see you every time for the same thing forever, and keep telling you the same thing forever, and won't actually make you do anything. So leadership has no power to change you. It's always what we do with what we hear. So leadership is the gift to the body so that the body has a flow of grace to be what the body is meant to be. Yeah. So, Luke Skywalker, <laughs> moved by a commission and a sense he's called to be a Jedi and conquer the Empire, goes to find Yoda, who says to him, mm, yeah, mm, teach you I will. And uh, Luke tries to bring the X-Wing fighter out of the swamp using the force. And he says, I try. No try, do. <laughs> <laughs> Yoda does not say to Luke Skywalker mm, step aside I will mm. <laughs> and he does not you don't see the end of the movie Yoda in the X-Wing fighter with R2-D2 behind him Yoda blowing up the Death Star with the photon torpedoes Yoda getting the no it's Luke <laughs> Luke is the hero Yoda is a leader, he's a guide, he's a servant, he's someone who says, I'm going to encourage you, Luke, I'm going to teach you, Luke, I'm going to, I'm going to give you opportunities of all of my stories, but you are the one who's going to have to learn this, you're the one who's going to fly the X-Wing fighter, it's your story, and that's the role of leadership. 
that leaders ultimately are responsible for building an environment, for building a culture of good soil where people can plant their seeds of faith and then they can grow and spring up and have their own adventures, their own stories, their own breakthrough. That leaders are more like the referee in a football match or a rugby match. Leaders call things in and they call things out. And leaders will guard culture and guard environment and guard a place where things can grow, where the presence of God can grow, where the miraculous can grow, where healing can grow, where breakthrough can grow, where hope can grow. And leaders will guard and cultivate and weed that soil to make sure that nothing chokes out the good things of the kingdom. So when Jesus says it shall not be so among you, Jesus is bringing a cultural correction to the disciples' understanding that there's a ladder and it's going to be authority over and it's going to be lording over. And Jesus says, no, that's not the culture of the kingdom. That's not how the culture works. The culture of the kingdom is we're all going to be, you're going to be servants and whoever wants to be great is going to become the servant of everyone. Culture is crucial. We, we thought, did, did you enjoy worship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> for some of you, you won't know the story, but we, we went to, we, we, we long for a culture of presence and worship and intimacy and joy and hope and connection. It was costly and sacrificial and required grit and determination and sacrifice. So what leaders do, they build culture where others can step into a culture now that has momentum of joy and hope and life and encounter and presence. It's a culture that got built that others can then step into. We regularly see people healed. We regularly see financial breakthrough. We regularly see provision. We regularly see um, things opening up around visas and jobs and housing because there's a culture of expectation that got built through, through just sometimes just dogged determination and doing it again and again and again and again until whoosh, you have a culture that begins to break out and other people begin to get breakthroughs too.